Welcome to episode four of We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and I'm here today with Cynthia Marisol Lozano, and we are sitting in a classroom at Otis College of Art and Design in the Westchester neighborhood of Los Angeles. Um, Cynthia, can you tell me a little bit about your family story and where your ancestors are from and how they came to the U.S.? Sure. So uh, my full name is Cynthia Marisol Lozano Garcia uh, Amaya Arias. Um, and it's I'm daughter of Juan Raul Lozano Arias and Norma Glidis Garcia Amaya. Um, I'm the first generation born um, in the United States. My mother, yeah, she was pregnant with me when she decided to um, take the journey um, to the United States or to um, native land of uh, the Chumash and Wixtoyo uh, nations. She also had, I have two older siblings, so they are were born in El Salvador, um, which our ancestry is from that specific region is um, indigenous people and um, my mom's part of her ancestry is um, Lenka Maya mm. and the journey <laughs> it's uh, wait is your father also from El Salvador my father's from El Salvador and my mother's from Honduras oh okay sorry yes. I missed that up. so the Honduras is uh, Lenka Maya okay. and El Salvador is people uh, um, so in talking with my grandmother and also with another cousin that uh, and doing my own um, I guess research of what the indigenous communities are in those regions um, that's kind of uh, how I've learned a little bit more about um, my indigenous ancestry in that specific uh, region of central native land do you know the story of why your parents decided to come here um, why? I feel like what I've been told is mostly kind of like what was going on in in the region of El Salvador. Uh, a lot of the war um, that was happening at that time. So it's kind of like the, um, it's part of, I guess, like the larger movement that was happening in Central mm-hmm. America with the Sandinistas. Mm-hmm. But um, so a lot of kind of like, I don't know if, it, like, specifically, like, the weather was, like, gang-related. I feel like there's always, like, commonalities in terms of, like, um, being people being pushed out or there not being enough resources or corrupt governments. And then, I mean, during that time, Ronald Reagan was feeding a lot of, like, that, um, the, the like, movements um, and to suppress, like, indigenous revolutions. And um, so I think that's a main reason why that, that might family maybe decided to take a chance and, and move mm-hmm. however my mom was living out there um, on her own while my dad was um, kind of like uh, supporting us by coming back and forth um, mm. so crossing um, or moving nomadically within you know these lands so that way he could provide for the family and then when enough money was saved up then he um, made the, the decision to um, have my mother join him here in the north. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense f- 
from them about what it's like now that they're here? Like, are they happy with that decision? Do they, do you all go back often? I don't go back as often as I would like, mm-hmm. um, but definitely I think that they either re that they feel that the more opportunities were given to us in terms of education. Mm-hmm. Um, having been here and having grown up, I know when visiting um, back home, a lot of the time, like I'm seen as an outsider, which is makes total sense because I didn't mm. grow up. Um, in the same area like I didn't you know so it's kind of like and then also my Spanish is a little bit different there's different kind of like uh, tones and accents and Mm -hmm. like uh, lingual differences that can happen however um, the majority of my family from my mom's side is still there Um, so it's kind of like I feel like growing up here is like neither from here from there in Spanish it says ni de aquí ni de allá so it's kind of like um this binary that yeah. that's placed. Um, I'm here and I'm not seen as being from here, and then I go there and I'm seen as not being from there. So it's kind of like, well, I'm part of that generation that it has maybe, for, if I you know speaking for myself, has struggled with where it is home or mm-hmm. where does that exist? Mm-hmm. Like, and how do I understand that concept? And really, it is acknowledging, you know. Um, that I did not choose to come on the trip. It was mostly a decision made um, on my parents, which I acknowledge and appreciate and honor them for having taken on that journey. And because um, the stories of people that do survive and that don't, like it's, it's it, the numbers are growing. So definitely acknowledging that they wanted something different for us and then making the best out of that what they their decision and um, have they ever talked about what that journey was like my mom did a little bit um and then even then when she was still here um she shared a little bit of stories actually when i went to visit her recently where does she live now um they live in tacoma washington okay that's right yeah i knew they were up north yeah they moved up north because of gentrification and you know everything that comes with living in la and it becoming more expensive Mm -hmm. and then um, retirement, you know, funds for my dad not being enough to really sustain them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, um, yeah, that's why I've never brought my mom to LA. She can't afford to live here. Yeah, it's just really expensive yeah. and it's stressful. And I mean, over there, it's a different, it feels different. Um, but how long ago did they move? It just recently, so. like in, we're in July, so maybe March. Oh, okay. Yeah. April, around there. So you were saying she's told you a little bit about the journey uh she doesn't like to talk about it too much Mm -hmm. i mean they're um they were using um other documents to kind of come so back then i feel like uh like maybe i don't know the way that they went about it was you know very kind of like carefully and um it was still i think if anything is more stressful like of of what happens if they catch you or if you you get caught with different papers or it must be terrible. You know, yeah, so it's kind of like that idea of, of being sent back or of, of waiting or of being, like, right, we're now where a lot of families are, like, the separation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, it's very stressful because um, all the what-ifs come to mind and yeah. the feel, those feelings that kind of build up, which I think it has provoked a lot of my own kind of, like, development, being very empathic and very, like, sensitive, um, like, 
a lot, all of those emotions that she was feeling kind of passed through to me mm. being in her womb and like you know so mm-hmm. she would talk about being stressed out she talked about kind of like whether or not like those kind of like moments of what the what ifs and um however luckily you know she was able to meet with my dad and um not too much or from what she shared and maybe not shared like it was you know she survived Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the underlining point is that she survived and she was able to meet with my dad and there's a place for her to, to rest and to sleep um, and, you know, being grateful for for all of whatever protection that was both seen and not unseen, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of our ancestors, our spirit guides and our guardians protecting her and, and my siblings, my sister, my brother and myself as she decided to embark on that journey by and herself. Yours. <laughs> Sister and brother are older than you. Did they yes. come with her, or yes. they came before? They came with her. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. How old were they at the time? Uh, I don't like elementary school or, or yeah, older. Or? I think my sister was the oldest. I I can't really like I don't know exactly like the age. Yeah. Um, but definitely like they were young, so yeah. they weren't old enough to walk, but not completely like mm. be like there. You know, like they're your kids, so it's kind of like you understand, you have a good sense of understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Um. So maybe like elementary, like yeah, school. Maybe my sister was I don't know, maybe five. She was definitely older, so she was more aware of kind of like what was going on. Yeah. And my younger brother was, sorry, my older brother was, you know, still a baby. Yeah, it's so hard. So one one baby, one in the tummy, one being carried, and then one handhold. Held. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that spectrum. Amazing. It makes me think like my my great grandmother came supposedly on a fake passport. I've been told I actually mix up which two great grandmothers it is. Uh, it's all on my mom's side, but either my grandmother's mother or my grandfather's mother. I always thought it was my grandmother's mother, and I've been told by some relatives that she was from Austria, and some that she was from Lithuania, and some that she was from Russia. And I think it's just because the borders changed a lot at that time period, and probably Russia had all of it at one point. And one relative I thought had said that they had the boat ship manifest from the boat she was supposedly on, but that her name wasn't on it. And that's why they thought she had a fake passport. But then I had another cousin on my grandfather's side who was like, no, she's from Lithuania, so it's my grandfather's mother not my grandmother's mother. Yes, it was a fake passport. It wasn't a fake passport. It was a passport from a person who had died. And this is the name of who it was. And so I feel, I, I always have, similar to what you're describing, this like empathy to me, because I feel like there's, um, it's different time periods and it's different geographic locations and ethnicities, but everybody is coming for the same reason, to have a better life and to escape whatever's happening in their home country. And I know that if my great-grandparents hadn't arrived, I wouldn't be here because of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So I like to me, I feel like um, I completely understand the desire from... And also the the risk that one takes mm-hmm. is hard. And it's definitely like a there's a consistency 
because of situations that are happening and um, like the different aggravators. And I mean, right now in Honduras, there's like a president that is being like manipulated by the administration here in the United States that's making decisions about uh, stealing resources and that is continuing to... And that's been going on for decades. Exactly. So, like, those types of things that are happening, it's like it, it leaves people with no choice but to seek asylum or seek to move or to migrate. And, yeah. I mean, granted, I feel like a lot of... Um, like, we are come from nomadic kind of, like... Uh, like an ancestry, mm. like we didn't stay in one place usually, like we would move around mm. um, and then, you know, f- feel like settle where the resources were, which is like water, which is the biggest thing and the, one of the biggest battles that continues to, to go on and even in the United States, like the Dakota pipelines and, you know, mm-hmm. the things that have been happening here with uh, the, um, is it, I forgot what city that the, there was like a leak and the water was like. Oh, in really, Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know the different water, um, kind of like uh, like re, like rivers that are trying to be appropriated or company or corporations are trying to kind of like make money out of a natural resource and then they're kicking it out like indigenous people mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like there's all all of that is still going on and it, it's even it's happening out of. I feel like at a rapid and faster ratio, which is causing um, folks to feel like that—that's the the option, the best option to do is to like leave and to move. And I mean, um, I got actually forgot to acknowledge also the um, the Tongva Nation in, in North America, mm-hmm. and in specific, specifically in this region of right, Los Angeles. Exactly, exactly. So um, acknowledging that this is indigenous land that we are on, and that all land is indigenous, and it belongs to indigenous people, and um, these corporations kind of like. I don't know. It's kind. Of, it's like oh, everything is connected in a way, and it's about seeing how those things are connected and. And what does it mean to be here, like, as um, a first-generation born um, in California and native, like, um, Tongva land? And what do I need to do? How can I help? Like, how can I be a part of something greater? How can I share my story? And also, um, and that be a means of also kind of, like, um, connecting with other people and inspiring, like, small acts of kindness, small acts of love, small acts of awareness, and um, and then holding myself together at the same time <laughs> with all the, everything that's happening right now. Yeah. But definitely, like, looking at ancestry and acknowledging and being grateful for my parents' decisions, and although those were out of my control, but it's like I wouldn't be who I am, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be where I am today unless they made those, unless they had done, done those things, and like I don't want to speculate with where I, with the what ifs. I just want to be just show gratitude and trying to be as humble as possible with kind of like the opportunities that are available. So what can I do? Like how can I contribute? Yeah, I'm hearing this this um, sense of both a gratefulness, but also that you feel a sense of responsibility because of what's been given to you for being brought here. Yeah, I mean there is a sense of responsibility. Um, like what does it mean to like lessen my carbon footprint? Mm-hmm. Like being here in the United States means that, you know, we're part of the one of the largest nations that contributes to this consumption of plastic that gets up to the ocean. 
you know, and, you know, like driving, like cars and how that is also polluting. And like, so it's kind of like all these different things that kind of like, because living here, a lot of the, um, the resource, natural resources that um, are being extracted from other countries are being brought here um, mm -hmm. because of, you know, we're the U.S. and we're, you know, a capitalistic nation. And so it's kind of like, okay, so I'm here. Well, what, like, what, what, what responsibilities do I need to take ownership of? And I do contribute to that. And so what else can I do to kind of, like, lessen and be aware of being more aware of what that contribution means and um, do you want to share any examples of the actions that you've taken towards um, that responsibility so definitely like uh, being part of like other like grassroots organizations here locally in Los Angeles that help to kind of like bring awareness to, to issues of um, people of incarceration mm -hmm. Um, of like immigration, of um, like like helping like other folks kind of like weave um, into the system or weave out of it or find the loopholes or um, contributing in other ways and um, there's different I guess actions in terms of my artwork as well and expressing my messages and um, like uh, I guess would be like drop banners or we pasting. Um, messages, um, being part of collectives of community organizations that are helping to to bring awareness or helping to support folks that are being targeted, mm -hmm. which is definitely black and brown communities, um, immigrant communities, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, well, how do you pass the word on and how do you share that? And, you know, through my experiences of um, through my the stories that I've, you know, that have been shared from my parents' generation. Um, and then, if anything, like, social media, although, like, I have <laughs> mixed feelings about it, mm -hmm. but I think it's a good way of spreading the word and letting people know what's going on. It's a really good tool it's for organizing. Exactly. Like, like okay, be at this rally or be here, or, mm -hmm. or if you can contribute, knowing capacity. But if, if anything, the biggest thing is just healing myself. Mm. And... Um, and is multi it's intergenerational so it's kind of like I'm like I am carrying different wounds and different um, experiences and knowledge from like from my ancestors from my past because that's carried through like blood and through DNA so it's kind of mm -hmm. like in order for there to be um, for there to be a shift there needs to healing needs to take place I need to acknowledge like what happened to my ancestors which which means they were pillaged they were raped like and seeing and healing from that, mm -hmm. I like, I'm, and I'm not just saying like, like okay, this happened, and then moving forward, but really like changing the dynamic. Like, how can I, like, as a gender non-conforming queer like person, um, integrate a more kind of like inclusive environment with my my nieces and nephews that are not growing up. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, what does it mean like to kind of like see how they're growing up and then also be like, giving them more like space to grow not shaming them like encouraging them to express themselves um letting them know that it's okay for them to feel the way that they feel mm -hmm. so it's kind of like these types of um interactions and like like awareness and validate validation is, is helping them so that when, when they grow up 
they know that they're they grow up knowing that they're capable of doing um, anything that they want and mm-hmm. as opposed to like oh well you're limited to just certain things like no really like if you know and making sure that I supporting them with their dreams and their aspirations you know it's also important um, I feel like that's that's the best means is through the receipts through the seeds yeah I think education and mentoring younger generations and all the ways that you just described is the best that we can do. Because that's how the culture shifts. (laughs) Right? I think about that as a parent now, Mm -hmm. too. That that, um, everything my son engages with affects his worldview. And so what do I expose him to? What variety of people and things and experiences does he get exposure to and interact with so that he's um, not fearful of difference and and that he can also choose to be expressing himself how he is without feeling like he's got to conform to an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Honoring the natural law and honoring Mother Earth um, and not, you know, I know technology is definitely here and it's not going anywhere and it's accelerating um, but it's also knowing that, you know, that they, that taking the time to walk, to breathe, to, to connect with the trees, to connect with the animals. Like when I was visiting my niece and nephew, uh, a constant thing that they're asking that we were talking about, I was like, okay, so what, what animal spirit are you connecting with today? Hmm. So like in that, you know, like I didn't grow up with my mom asking me or my parents asking me that kind of thing like those types of questions mm. so it's like that's a way of connecting back with the mother earth that's Do a way of acknowledging like your parents generation was disconnected from the indigenous ancestry and that you're trying to get back to it I feel like it is I think there's to a certain amount like because of what happened to when folks were acknowledging their indigenous ancestry they were you know shamed mm. um, so it's kind of like then like they, as a means of survival, you adapt. You it's assimilation. Exactly. Yeah. So you, so it's kind of like okay, well, what does it? They, this for their survival, for their preservation, they had to assimilate. They had to adapt. Mm-hmm. So now, in my from in my upbringing, I, you know, acknowledge what they needed to do to to be to to be present and to have given birth to me. But it's like okay, now we have. I, I'm I'm being called to acknowledge my ancestry to acknowledge. Um, my my parents struggle and what they went through and and they call call it out like you know their people ancestry they're from indigenous people um, in that region and my mom Lenka you know and there's other um, kinds of or there's other indigenous like tribes and nations that are a part of those regions and uh, for me, though, I connect with those because asking those questions of like, well, where did you grow up? Where was my grandmother from? Where was her mother from? You know, and so forth. And and then looking at maps, so it's really like a search. You know, it's like jumping through like time, like these. Like, are your grandparents still alive? No. So you don't have that generation as a resource. Well, I mean, my, 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 my grand. It's mostly um, like females that are still like um, present. Mm-hmm. So my, 
my grandmother um, from my dad's side and then my grandmother from my mom's side. So, like, Lucia, Flores, Arias, and... Mm. Um, ¿Cómo se llama mi abuela? Mm. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of her full <laughs> name. Because I'm like, oh, hi, Grandma. <laughs> so, the Doña Dina is, like, what she's referred to. So, it's kind of like, you know, and then... Um, so I think from my grand great grandmother from my mom's side is still alive, but not from my dad's side. Ah, your but, great grandmother. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's, yeah, so it's kind of like, and then I've seen like pictures, and they actually have come to, and I've seen them in my dreams. So it's like I know that, like I've, I'm, I'm very aware of how I can connect to them in in other ways because, like, once a person moves. It transitions into the spirit realm like that is that they're still alive they're still present i can still call on them mm-hmm. as, just as folks that follow a specific religion call on you know their their guardians or their archangels to connect with um so it's kind of like i that's how on top of like participating in, in indigenous ceremonies um and seeing how that could be a way of of, of growing and of of hearing and of listening and of um, lessons and humility and you know <laughs> things like I, that. So. so if you didn't grow, if your parents weren't practicing, like for instance, indigenous ceremonies or something, at what point in your life did you start seeking that out? At what point in my life? Yeah, like I don't. I feel like a young I, adult I can't. Or, or I can't really always, pinpoint it. Yeah. I think that it's just been. Um, I've had accessibility to it mm. um, at a young age, and then, you know, I feel like I, I'm distracted by things like being a teenager and, mm. you know, like the me social or not social media because it wasn't that big at that time, but kind of like how certain seeing programs on TV and seeing that no one on those shows reflected me. I think that's what caused me to look for answers and to ask questions mm-hmm. in other places. That and makes sense. Because I'm like, well, these folks, like, they're, you know, watching the Brady Bunch, like, they don't look like me. And then, like, okay, then realizing, oh, wow, that they're, it's a different, that these realities aren't real. They're illusions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, what is the reality that I want to live in? Like, where do I, how do I connect with with who I am? And it's also like going inside of myself and trusting that, you know, my decisions and how I decide mm-hmm. to live in this world and how I decide to walk on this world um, because I I am protected and I am um, being guided. And that's, I think, a tuning into that broadcast <laughs> just like how folks are tuning into this podcast that's a really nice way to put it tuning into the broadcast I like, yes i like that a lot do you have you experienced um harassment or discrimination because of who you are and all its complexity oh yeah i mean being followed around in stores you know and being brown and then being curvy and kind of like not fitting into the mold of what a perfect female woman is supposed to be and then also like there's kind of like being identifying as queer and you know what it means to to be a person that sees themselves as like two-spirited and 
acknowledging the feminine and the masculine parts of myself is like depending on how I decide to dress, like and how I'm treated, it definitely affects with how like how people are gonna look at me and perceive me and treat me and you know, like right now my hair is growing out but like I've had my head, you know, partially shaved and having a mohawk. So that's also like, oh, like if people are not used to seeing and the, I know it's a little bit more common now, but definitely when I travel, um, as part of my work and depends on what part of the country part of the country I go to you know it it, it definitely get different like reactions Mm. but really like at times you know um, like I said before like having my shield and it's like people need to encounter and meet other folks that express themselves the the way that they do because it it it, it's a means of like recognizing okay well not everyone's gonna look like me and that doesn't mean that you know it's not um any kind of form of attack or like on another person but it's like okay like it needs, I feel like from my experiences is, is it's just like okay I need to open up that there's a, a larger world out there besides my we network. We do and I feel like in Los Angeles we are in almost like this multicultural bubble like I remember years ago one student um, who had gone on a class trip to Appalachia and she came when she came back she talked to me and she was like i'm a minority i didn't know koreans were a minority and she she was like but in appalachia there's it's probably only white people and she was just so like thought i think she was simultaneously freaked out and amused by it but she was just it, to her that that moment of leaving this place where you're you are accepted to some degree because people are from everywhere and so many different backgrounds and races and everything and then to go somewhere where you're very much an outsider was really shocking yeah well definitely I think like thinking even though we do have issues in Los Angeles race relations as yeah, well not to deny that of course um, I think language I think has been something that's really important and to kind of like bring up and reflect on because mm. even the term minority is I feel that can be misunderstood or can be like a means of um, kind of like suppressing or uh, can have negative connotation. Well, and it doesn't make any sense in any ways because like, for instance, Latinos are not the minority. Exactly. Right? And and at Otis, at the time that this student was here, Koreans were the majority. Korean and Korean-American students. So it was, and I think that was her, like, I agree with you, that term is not adequate in a lot of situations, but it for her, I think in that situation in Appalachia, it made sense, mm-hmm. even though in Los Angeles and at Otis at College, it did not make sense. Yeah. It didn't apply to her. Well, that's a part of the kind of like also, I think, the, the growth that can happen is mm-hmm. like how we decide to really talk about certain issues and the language that we use. Because um, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, what's and it that? keeps changing because we're still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. The, oh, I, forget, I think that's a quote by Shata Shakur about we can dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like, so it's kind of like we need to come up with our own um, way of talking about and addressing these issues um, and, like, in community settings and collaborative settings and, you know, open dialogue and uh, things like that are, are helping um, to kind of like dismantle these structures in in our own terms what do you think it means to be American 
what does it mean to be American? Like, I'm not even sure I could answer that question I don't know. myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> what does it mean to be American? I mean, uh, to a certain extent, like, I don't, like, acknowledge or I don't like to kind of think of myself as American. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, like, I do, I see that that label can be placed on me very mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it just be, I don't know, like, it's hard to, it's hard to word right now. Like, what does it mean to be American? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah. Because it could be just a, a citizenship status. It could be. Depending on what, I guess, what, yeah. what lens Are you thinking about America from? being just yeah. United States of America or all of the Americas? And then there is no real, there's well, a more pluralistic definition of I mean, because we think of the Americas, then it would encompass Central America as well. And so, South. In South America. Yes, yes. And Northern America. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it can, it's complicated. <laughs> Do you have any family that served in the U.S. military? Yes. My two older siblings. Um, my sister in the Marine Corps and my brother in the Army. Hmm. And the, Do you know what their reason was for joining? I mean, the, I feel like the main reason that they did was um, because it allowed them um, financial opportunities. Mm. Um, they were able to um, receive their papers mm. um, when they enlisted. Um, That's how they got their citizenship. Exactly. I mean, definitely, they, you know, they're proud. They would be awesome. They're definitely proud that they're served their country. Um, although, after having participated and having uh, volunteered and having served the country, seeing that the need for um, more veteran support Mm. um, and more services um, is, I think, the downfall, is that you're not given the whole, like, I guess, like, view of what happens during that process. You just kind of, from what they've shared, it's like they throw a lot of money at you and for a person that, you know, works really hard with a part-time job or a full-time job, you know, you know, teenage jobs where you're working at the theater, working mm-hmm. at fast food or, you know, service. You're making um, minimum wage. Exactly, making minimum wage. And then to be given, like, all this money um, and then, like, okay, well, what path is it to take? You Should you take and, you know, not being given the full uh, accurate information. So something like, well... Once you enlist, like, uh, you can't, like, get out of it. Like, and really, that's not true. Um, you can still, like, if you decide to not participate or, um, in the service after you've signed your contract, you can still get out of it. Um, so, you know, so it's kind of like all this misinformation mm-hmm. and not being well informed. I have a friend who, from high school, that I'm not in touch with anymore, but he joined the Marines right after high school. And this was after the first invasion of Iraq, the Desert Storm invasion in the early 90s. But he he got himself stationed in the office that wrote the discharges and then he did the research to write his own discharge so he could get out when he was done, when he felt like he, and he had only maybe been in for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, both my siblings re-enlisted a wow. couple of times. 
so um you know it's it's called i feel like for me like they needed to i respect their decision and i respect that that's what they did and if anything like my sister having enlisted helped me as well um when i was um applied to college and i decided to i guess drop out because i didn't realize that i could um what's the word i could defer mm. um she exactly yeah. she was like oh just come and live with me and she was serving them in the marine corps um at that time and she was like paying through her salary she was paying the rent and she was mm -hmm. like as long as you go to school like i'll support you so it's kind of like i understood that she took on that kind of like supportive role that motherly role and i appreciate her for everything that she has done but now like having served at the time that she served and now she's struggling with health mm. and you know an autoimmune disorder and so it's kind of like it's not enough um help is given to the veterans once they finish their service and that's yeah. very very sad and unfortunate um that that has to happen and even things like treatments or being criminalized uh, for seeking treatment um not being given proper um just help Mm -hmm. Therapy. Did either of them therapy during combat? Yeah, yeah. And uh, my brother, you know, he has his own you know, stories of that he shared with me, and I don't feel comfortable sharing oh. them because they're his stories. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's kind of like he just he needs to be supported more, and like a lot of men, you know, women that go into combat, they see a lot of things and they experience a lot, and we're not to. We're not made to do things, certain things, and to see certain things, no. and we're not prepared. And um, so it's, it's it's complicated, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and that's where things like family, things like spirituality, things like um, the beauty of nature help to, to continue to move forward with this human experience, mm -hmm. <laughs> this earth experience. Because there's a lot of beauty. There's yes. a lot yeah. in nature. What are you hopeful about? What am I hopeful about? Mm -hmm. For the preservation of Mother Earth. Mm. For um, the youth, because they are so magical and beautiful. And, you know, and seeing my nieces and nephews, I think they definitely uh, inspire me to kind of, like, acknowledge my inner child and how that is what's going to change um, the future mm -hmm. it's happening <laughs> regardless like I feel like time is um, is not linear um, it's cyclical so it's con it's happening in a very continuous way like all all those different time periods but it happening. does feel like it's also going back and forth yes and not pro like we progress like I felt really hopeful when Obama was elected, and I feel, I felt less hopeful when Trump was elected, but I still feel like it has to get, the, the things that he's implementing has to get reversed. So I, I'm a little hopeful about that too, but it's still, It's kind of like... It's hard to not feel discouraged. I mean, there are definitely moments where that has happened, but I, uh, staying grounded has been kind mm -hmm. of like the best thing to continue to remain optimistic and continue to... Um, spread whatever messages of love need, that need to be spread things are the way that they are so that way people can 
start to like I don't know acknowledge that a lot of this like these hate thoughts and hate crimes and you know folks that are like not as open minded exist Hmm. like we have to just it's happening so we wake up and we're more willing to take action Mm -hmm. because it's unfortunate that you know or so that we're less complacent yeah it's like okay well things are happening so it's like how are you going to take action like what are you doing to take action and then even just living so waking up and going through your daily routine um is important um and especially being a person of color, being a queer person of color, um, it's important to just live, to be alive now, right now. But that's in and of itself yes. is... Um, it's a radical act. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a radical act. And the more that you can tune into who you are and express yourself, and um, the more light that you shine, it will spread in a very loving and, and way... And, you know, I just, like I, like I said, like, I'm optimistic and I want to maintain that. And at times it's hard, um, but grounding myself in the best way that I know how to um, with my tools and my crystals and mm-hmm. other people that support me and, 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 and that also have a similar um, kind of, like, vision of um, saving and being here to assist with... Um, you know, supporting this earth like helps helps mm-hmm. to to move forward. Helps to see that um, that this that we can continue to kind of like live and then in harmo in harmony with with the earth. Is there anything else you can think of that we haven't yet talked about that you want to share? Um, I don't. Not at the top of my head. I'm just you know grateful for the, the reminders of, of what it means to struggle and to uh, to acknowledge where I've come from and be where I am today and you know that staying, staying humble for that those experiences and you know that medicine you know trying to do my best to you know share my share my story with others well thank you yeah and thank you so much for sharing it i really enjoyed this conversation and i appreciate your openness and uh, willing to participate in the project no thank you for having me and for doing starting this 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 seed seeding this (laughs) audio seed great